Hello there, and thank you for joining me today. This is the Psychology Report. You know, you go to a physician for many purposes, but the overriding purpose generally is to answer the question, how is my health? Am I healthy? Am I doing the right thing? Am I living right? Am I on course? Am I in a context of general healthiness? So the physician and the staff uh, engage in a series of procedures, blood pressure, cholesterol, uh, a variety of uh, measures with the heart, heartbeat, heart rate, uh, temperature. I mean, there's a number of different factors. Then even going down a little deeper in terms of doing some chemical analysis of the blood and chemical analysis of the body in different ways even in terms of different types of x-rays and so on. It's all for the purpose of how is my health? That's the question that's being answered. Well, when it comes to marriage, there is no such objective measure. Uh, there's no thermometer that one can use. There's no stethoscope that one can use. There's no cuff that one can put on and measure as you do a blood pressure. You know, marriage is a fluid kind of an experience. It goes on, and some days are quite good, and some days are not so good, and relationships vary by the wife being in great turmoil and anger and distress one time, and then a husband is in great anger and turmoil and distress another time. And so the marriage fluctuates back and forth, up and down, and has no one stable marker. But there's a researcher by the name of John Gottman, psychologist who studied marriages for most of his career, actually. Written a number of books on the, on the topic, many, many articles. I've read him for years. John Gottman states that he can predict the health of a marriage to a 94% accuracy rate. Well, that may be true. If you've studied it in thorough uh, in thoroughness, and you you know what the, what you're looking for, you know what the factors are, and then you see if those factors are present or not. So Gottman kind of does the same analysis as a physician might do in terms of your own physical health. He knows that there are certain indicators. So he looks at a couple in terms of are those indicators present or absent? Are they there in a very strong kind of way, or are they there only weakly, only in a mild form? But what are they? What are the indicators that state that, you know, the marriage is a successful marriage and will continue to be a successful marriage? Well, take a look at what some of his indicators, and then you can evaluate your own situation, you know, accordingly. A high level of affection. Successful marriages live and thrive and continue to thrive on an ongoing state of affection between husband and wife. That is, there's different words that are used to express affection. There's different types of touching that is used to express different kinds of affection. Sexual touching and non-sexual touching. There are certain kinds of looks. There are certain words that are used. There's a number of subtleties that come to play in terms of whether that couple engage in a level of affection or not. Number two, he states humor. Successful couples tend to have a great deal of humor. They laugh. 
there's kind of a happiness level. There's a kind of hum there's kind of a, a funniness or a, a humor that takes place within the context of the relationship. There's an ongoing dialogue of joking and and uh, storytelling and uh, laughing over incidences, you know, that occur. Rather than getting mad at things, often we'll laugh at things that take place. So humor is a very important thing. And then a humor between them and other couples and a humor between them and the children. And uh, so the marriage flourishes in the sense of those humor. Friendship is the third factor. Successful couples are friends. And in fact, successful couples tend to be friends first and foremost. And then develop into a loving relationship and eventually into a marriage relationship. Friendship is maintained, however, throughout the marriage, and there's a very, very strong sense of friendship that takes place. They like to be together. They enjoy being together. They plan to be together. They look forward to being together. They look forward to sharing events and incidences together. And as friends would tell stories and just enjoy each other and hang out together, that's what successful marriages do as well. So friendship is a very important factor there. Then let me give you another one. Healthy conflict resolution. Now, that says that every couple has conflict. Even successful marriages have conflict. But the difference is they resolve their conflict. And they resolve it in a healthy way. What's healthy way? Well, they don't name call. They don't barb, throw barbs at each other. They don't use put-downs. They don't express anger and uncontrolled anger, you know, towards each other. If there's a conflict, if there's a difference, there's more dialogue, there's more discussion, there's more consideration, there's more options that they look at and consider, and they choose ways in which to resolve the conflict. Conflict resolution is by choice. Conflict resolution is by mutual discussion and mutual consideration rather than one yelling at another person or putting down another person or, or overpowering one person or bullying uh, the other. So it's healthy conflict resolution. And then also successful couples tend to be respectful of each other, respectful of their needs, respectful of their wishes, respectful of their little idiosyncrasies, respectful of their desires, respectful of the ways that they live and want to live and their history and Respectful of some of the things that have taken place in their past. You know, it's not uncommon at all for a couple to have a history that's embarrassing, perhaps to the wife or perhaps to the husband, maybe to both. They all have their own little history that might uh, be sensitive or embarrassing. And in a successful marriage, they each respect those differences. They respect those bits of history that are sensitive and embarrassing and are touchy. Maybe not even talk about them anymore, not even deal with them, not make reference to them. So that there isn't the sense of imposing upon the other person a sense of uh, embarrassment. So respect for each other is extremely important. And they make little comments during the day. They make, very, they make very little comments throughout the day, if you will about just small things. They share small things from work and from thoughts they've had or books they've read or articles they've been reading or something from the television or something from the newspaper. There's a sharing. There's a kind of a uh, wanting to inform the other person of something, to have a common knowledge, have a common base of information. 
So there's this desire to uh, be open and to be mutual and to be sharing and to be common in comments and in um, sharing of information that's maybe not significantly important or maybe not earth-shattering, but just the little stuff that happens during the course of the day. In fact, successful marriages, they, when they come home from work, they come home with the idea, I'm going to tell my wife this, I'm going to tell my husband this. They, they come prepared to talk, they come prepared to share something from their day. The little stuff that takes place. But you know, that little stuff adds up and becomes very important and becomes a big thing. Okay? So they want to have nice moments in the day. They want to have nice conversation. They want to share those little pieces of information that is uh, enriching and just maybe it's humorous. Maybe it's funny or just informative, whatever it might be. But you know, take a contrast to that. Marriages that are not successful. Marriages that struggle. Marriages that just, from day one, just have, they're at odds with each other. They're just, it's tough to be together. It's tough to stay together. They have to do it kind of in a deliberate, intentional kind of way. It doesn't just flow. The marriage doesn't just flow together. They have to kind of be put together, if you will. There's a lot of criticism in those marriages. Lots of times that whenever somebody does something wrong, there's a critical remark you may. So criticism of each other is common in unsuccessful marriages. And they ignore the little daily con comments. They ignore the little things that happen during the day. They don't bring them home and discuss them. They don't think about bringing home a piece of information or an incident that happened at work or uh, happened between two people or in a telephone call or something they read in the paper or something they read in a book or on television. They don't think about sharing that with each other. They kind of just more or less keep it to themselves. So there's this sense of, of, of isolation or the sense of inwardness of keeping it to myself rather than being open and sharing and interactive uh, with each other. So marriages that are not successful, you know, struggle. They don't seem to celebrate life. They don't seem to celebrate occasions, celebrate events, celebrate successes, celebrate achievements. They don't acknowledge those and celebrate those kind of events. They just kind of pass through the day as if it just ha happened. If one happens to have a, a particularly positive experience, it might comment about it. The other person might just listen, make a comment, and then move on to some other topic. And so, Rather than to stop and pause and celebrate and enjoy the story and depth and the meaning of that particular event you know, for the other person. So, in a sense, marriages that thrive, thrive on kindness, thrive on thoughtfulness, thrive on openness, thrive on interaction, you know, th thrive on the sharing, thrive on just being one, uh, working together and bringing together two relationships into one as compared to the marriages that don't make it very well and make it very tough and, and don't survive even. They, they exist on contempt. They exist on separation and, uh, and uh, being separate from each other, being independent of each other, having their own separate lives, and then just spending some time together in the home or wherever it might be. Uh, it's just not that sense of togetherness. There's a sense of separateness, if you will. Those are the marriages that just have struggle after struggle after struggle. So take a look at these concepts and these ideas. 
from uh, psychologist John Gottman. And see how your marriage stacks up. See how your relationship... You know, in fact, it's just not your marriage. You can even use those points in terms of you and your children, you and your friends, you and your extended family member, you and your co-workers. I mean, do you relate to people outside of the home and outside of your marriage as you relate to people within the marriage and within your home? You know, if you do... You're going to have relationships outside the marriage that are positive and good and and welcoming and strong and affirming. Or you're going to have relationships outside that are also stressful and negative and defeating. So think of it in the sense of these are important for the marriage, but they apply to all relationships. This has been the Psychology Report, but before I go today, again, I'd like to bring you to the attention of the Pompeii disease. Pompe disease. Pompe disease is a rare and debilitating genetic disease affecting children as well as adults. The age of, of onset varies and the symptoms vary, but most patients experience a progressive muscle weakening and breathing difficulty. This results in the loss of strength in the diaphragm, which is the muscle supporting the lungs. In addition, infants from or with Pompeii uh, experience uh, cardiac problems due to the weakening of the cardiac muscle. So it's kind of a lung and heart disease uh, through muscle weakness that those organs are not strongly supported and therefore they don't function as well. A lot of research is being done on Pompeii disease currently and the medication for it is extremely expensive and there are very few doctors They've been trained in the treatment of the Pompeii kid, so or the adult. So they often have to go distance to get a doctor that's knowledgeable and experienced in treating them. So they formed a foundation called the United Pompeii Foundation. United Pompeii is P- Pompeii is P-O-M-P-E. United Pompeii.com. Look it up. Look up the website. Familiarize yourself with the Pompeii disease and the children and the adults that experience this kind of disease. They have trouble with medical costs. They have trouble getting to treatment. They have many, many out-of-pocket expenses that insurance does not cover. So the Pompeii Foundation was formed to raise money so that these children and adults that are in need can apply for grants and apply for scholarships and apply for medical assistance, even maybe funds to get to a doctor, which may be hundreds of miles away. So, Pompeii Foundation. It's the United Pompeii Foundation. And I recommend that you take a look at it, look it up, read about it, and you know what? After you've done that, think about sending them a couple bucks. They'll, be, they'll appreciate it, and you'll feel good about it, and you'll know that you've helped somebody. You really have. Nice to talk to you. This has been the Psychology Report. Bye for now.